0: Welcome to Chit Chat Stocks. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer analyze
1: businesses and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Stocks is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Stocks by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour on... Chit Chat Stocks, formerly Chit Chat Money, but we are officially retiring that name. My name is Brett Schaefer. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Henderson. On these episodes, we talk about whatever we want in financial markets, investing, stocks, philosophy, earnings. This week, we're going to do a lot of earnings. On the docket, we got Alphabet earnings. Going to do a little discussion on that. I believe we both read those. I know we both read Match Group, as I believe we were both shareholders. We're going to talk Musk's pay package and possibly some other fun topics if we get there. Ryan, before we get started, though, why don't you tell any of the listeners or the viewers about our good friends at public.com?
0: Sure. Let me uh hop over and hope all our listeners are doing well. Hope you're liking the name change to Chit Chat Stocks. But uh, before we get into it, let's talk about Public. You might know Public.com as the all-in-one investing platform. We've been talking about that a little bit through some of our recent ads. Now they have launched options trading, and with it, they're doing something no other brokerage has done before, Public is sharing 50% of their options trading revenue directly with you, the customer. So whenever you trade on public, you get something back. And of course, there are no commissions or per contract fees either. By sharing 50% of their options revenue, you'll know exactly how much they make from your options trades because public is literally giving you half of it. In other words, it's a more transparent approach to options with no fees, and you get something back on every single trade. So go to public.com and activate options trading by March 31st to lock in your lifetime rebate. This is paid for by public investing. Must activate options account by March 31st for revenue share. Options are not suitable for all investors and carry significant risk. Full disclosure in podcast description, US members only. With that said, Shall we get into our little earnings palooza? It's been, this is busy week. This is like the busiest week of every three months. Big tech. That's right.
1: Okay. And more context for anyone that doesn't know when we record these. This is at 12.30 PM Eastern, 9.30 AM Pacific on Thursdays live. So we haven't gotten meta earnings. We haven't gotten Apple earnings or Amazon earnings. Possibly we talk about those next week if there's anything interesting there. But- just for anyone listening on Sundays, when these come out on the podcast players, yeah, we haven't gotten that information yet. And I did accidentally X out of everything uh, that I had loaded up for my notes, so I gotta redo that. So why don't you go first, maybe talk Match Group.
0: Yeah, I know when people hear big tech, Match Group is maybe not the first company that comes to mind, but it's tech and medium-sized, I would, say, I would say it classifies as large cap, you think? Mid cap?
1: <laughs> Maybe not anymore. I don't know what... It wasn't when we first bought it was. <laughs> it used to be a large cap, possibly mid cap now. Hopefully, it will be a large cap once it once again one day, but yeah.
0: We're small cap investors in the end. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, so Match Group reported this week. The results were all right, but... Uh, least i thought let me go through some of the numbers real quick just to give people some actual context revenue was up 10 percent year over year it was payer declines but revenue per payer offsetting it so uh, payers declined five percent compared to the same quarter last year but keep in mind they did tinder's biggest market is north america tinder is the biggest app for match group and they instituted some Really big price increases um, for Tinder in North America. So the revenue per payer was up 17% versus a year ago, but the payers themselves were down. And so I thought that was all good and well. The margins were pretty strong. They're guiding for $1.1 billion in free cash flow for next year. I thought that was a big bright spot. Uh the concern was they gave a little bit of color around user growth for Tinder and users are still declining. So they've been investing and uh, keep in mind, users and payers are different, right? If you institute the price increases, you're going to see a little bit of a decline in payers, but that shouldn't necessarily impact the users. Users really top of the funnel Uh, we're seeing a little bit of declines there, despite increased marketing spend at Tinder. So that was kind of the big concern, I think, from shareholders. The stock was basically flat uh, following the earnings report. And I got to say, I did not love the conference call. I I thought the report was fine, but the conference call, (laughs) maybe Bernard Kim is a great CEO, like, under the hood. You know, I don't get to see that every day, but he's not a great conference call guy because everything seems really rehearsed. There's no, it doesn't like, if you listen to the calls, they don't feel genuine at all. And it's just a little frustrating as a shareholder. Did you have any thoughts on the quarter?
1: yeah i guess uh, the big the biggest concern was that user intake number that they talk about although they get a little bit confusing which is also maybe concerning on what exactly the definition of that is because it's not overall users on the platform it's the number of users that are either downloading it or reactivating so i don't know exactly what to think there but i don't think it's good that that number is declining and it's declining at a small rate. They say mid-single digits, so let's say 5%. I don't think that's the end of the world, and it sounds like it's fixable. Or at least I would think it's fixable. But obviously, we can't have that continue. I don't know on the conference call... I guess I just read the transcripts, so it's probably reads a little better than if he sounds very rehearsed when he's talking. But that's been people's gripes ever since he joined. So I don't know if. I don't know how much I put into that. I I, think I really don't care is... exactly as long as I have a good philosophy and are doing the things that like I don't care how he sounds, if he sounds like Brian Chesky, I, I don't care
0: yeah it's not gonna it's not that you know maybe he he prefers to be scripted but it just feels sometimes when he when it seems like he's reading off a script it feels a little bit like he's hiding certain numbers and you're not getting transparent like truly transparent thoughts i thought I mean, what's, I know he's not going to be able to say much here, but when they asked about Elliot Management, I thought it was pretty funny. It's like, yeah, we are very happy about our co- potential collaboration with Elliot Management. And I was like, I know. I know he can't say anything, but okay. Uh, yeah, what,
1: what is he going to say?
0: But the ones that, the part that did concern me is it felt like they were kind of just, they said, We expect to get back to user growth by, or maybe I think it was payer growth by Q3 of 2024, which is when the price increases will have rolled through. Right. I am not sure they really have any degree of confidence in that. And if users are declining, it seems unlikely unless they institute certain product changes where it increases the incentive for people to pay. It kind of feels like they're just saying, like, like they're just kicking the can down the road and saying, Oh, Q3, Q3, uh, kind of chucking up a prayer that things get better at Tinder, which I don't know. Maybe I'd just rather them not say anything about payers at all.
1: Yeah, or give that guidance. Yeah, I think I agree with you there, where they don't really necessarily know, and it's not necessarily important that in Q3 we go from magically from minus 1% to positive 1%. It's more of okay. Are you focusing on the right things at Tinder? And I think they are. They got the new CEO in there, who's been with the company. Apparently, was impressed, or Brian, Kim, or excuse me, Bernard Kim was impressed with her, and she's going to be focusing on increasing the consistency in marketing and then focusing on improving the product features that they've been lacking over the last say 5 years before Kim joined and then also focusing on improving the women's uh experience which as i know most of our 90% of our listeners are guys but for the small portion that are not the they understand that the women's experience on these apps can be chaotic and not as enjoyable So fixing that, I think those are important things, right? And that will lead to monetization, which is fairly easy. But I think they're doing the right things. But the question is, will it work? And not exactly sure, but I think the stock is cheap here. They're finally buying back shares uh, consistently, which I think is a good thing. They changed that. I think that's a positive change. And they should generate about a billion dollars in free cash flow this year. Yes, there's SBC in that. So the actual number is Probably lower. About 800,
0: around $800 million if you X out the SBC.
1: If you X out the SBC, yeah. And part of that, the math can get funky if you're buying back low and then the, the options, you know, vest at a higher price, whatever. But the stock's trading at about $10 billion market cap. I think that's not the end of the world. Hinge is accelerating, which I thought was a good thing. And What I think perhaps is underrated is the potential for margin expansion as they get these legacy brands into purposeful terminal decline because Tinder's margins are at 50%. Hinge, even though they're aggressively spending at marketing, are 30%. And this is with them paying, I believe the number was $680 million to the app stores last year. Around that number, it might have been 650 million, but around 25% to 30% of the revenues getting paid to Apple and Google. That's despite that. So I think margins can expand here as they get these legacy brands. That, uh, you know, eh. yeah, I think, I think it was that- fine. It was everything was good except Tinder users. Like everything I thought was good except that.
0: Yeah. But, uh, right now, it's probably the most important thing to the investment over the next couple of years i mean, it kind of depends how hinge develops or at what pace it grows but the other thing that i think is a little underrated is for context for anyone that doesn't keep close tabs on match group there are like a dozen apps but they get grouped into four things so tinder hinge evergreen and emerging which is match.com plenty of fish as well as some of the younger ones that are more niche like blk and chispa and then there's asia evergreen and emerging evergreen is still pretty big and it's running off quicker now which is hurting revenue more than i think people like i think people probably don't even really look at the evergreen brand during the quarterly report they don't really think much about it but it's not that small like a probably similar size to hinge today um or it was bigger a little bit like the as a collection, it was bigger, I believe last year. And so that runoff is going to not have quite as big of an effect as we move forward as they kind of just juice that thing for profits. So
1: and I was going to say, yes, they'll actually generate profits as they transition those users to the modern um, services.
0: yeah, and I think the other thing that's probably a big component is component of this is that two percent user declines at Tinder. I, could, I would imagine that a lot of that just comes from Hinge cannibalizing parts of it. Yeah. And they don't I, They don't want to say that, but I don't think that's the end of the world because it's there's a higher propensity to pay on Hinge and it's a higher value user experience. So I, I would imagine that's actually a net benefit in the long run, but it's going to potentially hurt them in the short run. So we've got a number of questions. I'll kind of leave it there on Match Group. I get frustrated with the conference calls, but I don't plan on selling anytime soon. And
1: talk about uh we're gonna talk about another frustrating conference call that I don't even read anymore, which is the alphabet one, just a lot of nonsense and never disclosing anything. It's it's kind of similar in that regard.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about starting a uh grass grassroots movement to just stop Google's conference calls. There's no
1: point.
0: <laughs> I don't want don't to don't benefit so. shareholders. Yeah yeah uh it's not like we're getting extra commentary that's useful like we're not getting real good context they're just like talking in platitudes and very vague uh or they'll give like one tiny they'll give one piece of data that's really important every like five years and it's very frustrating uh but we've got a number of questions from tyler here in the chat do you want to pick up any of these
1: Sure, let's just go through them. Did you guys discuss PayPal's announcement that, quote, shocked the world? Was that last week, LOL? Yes, very LOL uh, on that. I have no idea what they actually announced, uh, except that they actually did layoffs. Maybe that'll (laughs) shock the world. But I, look, PayPal, people compare it to Meta, people compare it to Match Group, I guess. Although I would say PayPal... Has a little bit more competition directly than a match group. And yeah, I, I don't like PayPal. I don't pay attention to him. Don't frankly care. Stock's cheap. It might work. Don't have thoughts on that. Uh He has a yeah, got, question or do you have anything on them? It's uh, just, I wasn't
0: able. We visited PayPal as an idea I want to say six months ago and maybe it was a little longer and I just couldn't really get comfortable with the risks. It seems like this tap to pay technology that's really going around PayPal. So the, I mean, I know they ruled it out themselves, but Apple pay, Google pay, it feels like that's going to be a pretty big threat and kind of take share of the payments landscape overall. And they've got no take on that. So, um, I had a hard time getting comfortable with that risk. And yeah, there's a lot of competition there. I did never uh, note to all management teams out there. Never say you're going to shock the world on a conference call. That's like a week away. It's (laughs) You're going to get your stock to jump. Maybe Uh, especially if you're about to do layoffs right after that, because he has quickly been dismissed by pretty much the entire investment community as a, serious person
1: just don't talk to the public often that's what i would say yeah with paypal too just think common sense i purposefully do never want to use paypal if someone says hey can i use paypal i go no i have these way i have 10 other options for you choose whatever you want with a tenth of the fees so just think about that and ask yourself is this a good business to be in and have they actually capitalized on Venmo? Maybe they will, but let's move to another one. Do you guys have any early thoughts on booking holdings? Little teaser, we recorded a show last week and as anyone listening to the podcast here, it'll come out on Wednesday, Ryan's stock research report on booking. I guess maybe we don't want to disclose whether Ryan's buying shares or not, but I will say- It's probably going to be in the title. Wanna? maybe it might be but hey just wait on you know we don't want to give away everything from the episode we want people to actually listen uh i let's see after recording i was slightly more positive on them i wouldn't say it changed my opinion that much but slightly more positive anything familiar, familiar with
0: to, were you familiar with booking prior to the show
1: a little bit a little bit. i was from i was aware that they were the dominant player in european hotels yes but that's it
0: yeah, I think uh I mean just foreshadowing here. I do like the business. I didn't know it that well prior to researching it, but it took some time researching it and I, I thought it was pretty solid moat. So uh yes, hopefully look forward to that episode. Not gonna give anything else away. We do have some interesting comments here. Will says Google advertising still brings in more revenue than Microsoft's entire business think it's ridiculous to sell off because it only grew 11%. Yeah, the quarter was good.
1: We'll hit on that. We'll hit on that. I, that's my that's my earnings topic. So, yeah. I agree with you, though.
0: It uh, Do we want to just hop to Google's earnings here and talk about them?
1: Yeah, we got some questions here that will come back up on Elon Musk. We got some stuff on mergers and acquisitions. Sorry, I don't think we're going to hit that. We've hit that a lot recently. And then we have something on the U.S. economy. Maybe we'll hit that if we have time. Also, Tyler says... Uh, the guy carrying the comments on his back says the Netflix pod with Alex and Francisco was excellent. I will say that was excellent. All thanks to them. They did 90% of the work. We asked some great questions. You'll see that in your feed. It's called Netflix stuck and the end of the streaming wars. All right. Alphabet earnings. I thought it was very funny. Two things that were funny from the earnings release. One, they said we are entering the Gemini era, which the wording there is funny. Are you, how do you feel now that we're in the Gemini era, Ryan? Doesn't
0: Gemini have another meaning?
1: It's one of those uh, horoscope things, yeah.
0: <laughs> Never knew I was into that.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's look up who's a Gemini. Who is a Gemini? In Google, by the way. Uh, it is the third astrological sign, May 21st through June 21st. Nope, you're April, right, Ryan? So... Yeah, you're not in that. I'm I guess Sundar
0: Pichai's yeah. a big astrology guy. I didn't didn't see that coming. <laughs> the uh, uh, yeah, I thought and that then was the pretty second funny. one is
1: when they had they changed their corporate costs to Alphabet related expenses, which is just your company name. And some of those made sense. That it was a large one because they had the layoffs, but it's another reminder that if you hire thirty thousand people and then realize that you hired way too many people and have no jobs for them and then fire them all, it doesn't. It's not free. Okay to the numbers. Yeah,
0: go through some of the numbers.
1: Okay. Q4 revenue grew 13% year over year to $86 billion. That was an acceleration from prior quarter. 27% operating margin gap up from 24% last year. Google search, 13% growth along with everything else. Uh, to $48 billion to still about half the business, or actually a little more than half the business. YouTube ad revenue, 15.5% growth, $9.2 billion. Google Cloud, 26% revenue growth, 9% operating margin as it was unprofitable last year, I believe, and highly unprofitable two to three years ago. Overall net income... $74 74 billion dollars at the current market cap. They traded a trailing PE of 24 while still investing heavily in their moonshot research projects. Waymo burning a lot of money, Google Cloud still operating below what you know AWS and Microsoft Azure's margins are, or Azure's probably is. They don't disclose that. Investing in all this AI stuff and all the other. I won't call it nonsense, but other things that, you know, they they could be more profitable if they wanted to. Now, Ryan is sharing his screen here from our good friends at FinChat, his humble employer. Um, Any thoughts, Ryan, on the quarter? Surprises? Anything stand out?
0: I thought it was a really good quarter. I was impressed by the profit margin acceleration. So let me pull up EBIT here real quick uh if i can total ebit Mm. jumped pretty sharply year over year uh went from about 18 billion to just under 25 billion dollars i was really impressed i know there was a reassessment on the depreciation costs of their servers for google cloud that helped with the gap earnings but the or the use reassessment on the useful life so that helped, but uh, the operating margin the operating margin improvement at Google Cloud has been really solid. In four years, it's gone from, I believe, negative 62% operating margins to positive 9% while scaling from like $8 billion to $30 billion in, in revenue annually. So really solid improvement there. YouTube was also really strong. So pretty strong results across the board. Although sometimes I just sit and think like they don't have to do anything to grow Google search. And they just like, it's like they got sat there with this dilemma of, all right, well, we've got this like insane cash generator. We should probably just start hiring people and do something Uh, or maybe start acquiring some businesses. Some of those worked out, but now it seems like they have a lot of, waste at the company that is not uh not very efficient and it's interesting to hear the two different ceos talk because google and microsoft reported on the same day and if i were picking purely one executive i'm gonna have to go with uh satya nadella over sundar pachai but
1: he's just charismatic come on i think people overrate they're all when I was CEO, was charismatic. But why don't you share that screen again? And why don't we get through our little mid-roll with FinChat? Why don't you toss up one of the nice KPIs they have for companies like Alphabet that are, I will say, proprietary to the old FinChat uh, platform there? Here,
0: you share your screen because I got to talk through some of the t- uh, uh,
1: important okay, points okay. to mention here. Well, um, well I got to load up the thing, but hey. It's pretty quick, but we're running. Well, uh, we're running a lot of things in here. Why don't you? I'll load up first, and then we can go through the app.
0: Yeah, just for anyone that doesn't know, FinChat. It is my employer, as Brett mentioned earlier, but it is a pretty robust stock research platform. So, if you're a fundamental investor, you manage your own money, you manage a decent sum, and you like to research stocks, this really is a pretty useful platform. So they've got all the standard financial data. So income statements going back 20 years, balance sheets, cash flow statements, free cash flow, all the valuation metrics going back 20 years. And then that's kind of the the standard data. And then on top of that, they've got segments and KPIs on over 1,500 stocks. So, And it's 10 10 years of segments and KPIs. So for example, if you want to look at Amazon's AWS revenue, which is going to be coming out here in a couple hours, you can see that over the last 10 years and track it, chart it, see the growth rate, see all of that. If you want to see match groups paying users, which we just talked about, it's all there. If you want to see how many Stores, Sprouts, farmers market added last quarter. It's once again, it's all there. I said last time that they had a million more KPIs. It's actually half a million. I was wrong, but it's expanding and it's growing quickly. And if you have a stock that you want segments of KPIs for, literally reach out to me. uh The team there is so quick and they can have it uploaded really quickly. And where it's can very, people find it? Where? Yeah, it's,
1: let, I'm going to catch you off. Where can people find Finchette?
0: use our code or sorry, not our code, our link. If you get, if you use finchat.io slash chitchat, you get 25% off any paid plan, or you can just go to finchat.io, check out the platform. And then when you want, check out our link again, that's finchat.io slash chitchat. The link will be in our show notes.
1: All right. Thank you, Ryan. I will talk my thoughts in the quarter and then we can have a few other fun questions on Alphabet. But we have a comment here from Tyler. It's amazing that it's taken Ruth nine years to figure out how operating leverage works. Now we'll see if they accidentally grew margins or intentionally grew OPEX slower than revenue. Yeah, I think if you look, and Ruth Borat is the CFO actually retiring soon. If you look at the CFO department at Alphabet, you could say that's been a big hindrance to them not being valued the same as apple and microsoft second one what stock percentage change do you think google would get if sundar was replaced by Satya? i think it would go up but i don't think it would deserve to go up i mean if you look at how they're executing business wise alphabet it's phenomenal google pixel dominant not dominating gaining market share rapidly i mean that's a huge benefit for them youtube dominating Google search, retaining its market share, investing in all these innovative AI things under Sundar Pichai that had them ready for these threats from things like open AI. Now it's still TBD on whether who will win here. But so far, I mean, it's clear that it hasn't affected them. Uh, and then Google Cloud as well. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the problem is the CEO department, even if they just talk nonsense on the conference calls, it's the finance department.
0: Yeah, I think maybe I'm going to start investing in companies where i don't just get chronically frustrated by listening to the conference calls
1: it, <laughs> it's just not fun
0: <laughs> like these are really good businesses this was a really good quarter and they just love to they just love to ruin it with the conference calls and it's yeah it is not fun you get just so frustrated listening to the calls but yeah to your i don't part,
1: even read them anymore the
0: execution honestly. has been good yeah i mean there's no value really I mean, maybe they give one tidbit about something that you're really interested in. Like YouTube premium. Yeah. They'll mention that on occasion, but it'll be so vague that you can't really do anything with the data. They were like YouTube premium or what was it? YouTube paid subs. And I was like, does that include YouTube TV? And they're like, that also includes free trials. How many free trials? You know, it's just, you don't know what the average revenue is per paid sub and it's just frustrating, but uh, obviously the business is incredible and the results continue to be good. I I think this is one where you don't just sit around and trade in and out of it. You just hold on to it and forget about the calls. And the other thing, you brought this up, but Google end of 2022, maybe mid 2022, I think that may have been one of the fattest pitches.
1: Of- and yes, yeah.
0: Was it end of 2022? Yeah. That was such a fat pitch. It was trading at, what, low teens cash flow, low teens earnings multiple, and everyone was so worried about chat GPT, and it just seems like none of that has materialized.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, that was a net income number with a lot of write-downs this year, a lot of one-time stuff from the layoffs, and they're investing an insane amount into this AI infrastructure. I think they're going to do like $40 billion in CapEx this year. I mean, that's flowing through. It's depreciation even though they changed that definition sometimes. At a PE of 24 today, would you buy shares? I'm going to say my answer first. I Sorry, think I repeat
0: that? What was the multiple?
1: 24, based on the 2023 net income. I am not buying shares, but I think investors do well over the next five years.
0: Yeah, I am not buying shares, but I, I would not be upset if I were. It's just not my top one that I'd like to buy right now. I was listening to a show with David Gardner recently, and he talked the business about one.
1: It was a no, no, no,
0: no. Uh, his Rule Breakers podcast. Sometimes I just like to listen to him to convince me not to sell in and out of things. Um, <laughs> but he, he was talking about his magnificent seven score, which is the number of years that you've held a magnificent seven stock. So like, okay, you've held Tesla for 10 years. You've held Microsoft for 10 years. That's a score of 20 or whatever. That's kind of, he thought that was a, it was just a fun little uh, practice that he did. And his score was like more than a hundred years. And just made, yeah. He, the only one he hadn't owned was Microsoft. But I think he'd owned the rest. And God it just goes to show the art of not selling. And I think I'm coming around to that more and more is just winner, loser, just don't sell it. Because sometimes I think it's a loser and it it is ultimately a winner.
1: Yeah. And I think for for listeners, we're we're look, you might there's some people there that, that are totally agreeing with us, and there's some people that are like, Well, that's just the all-time highs talking to you. It's not necessarily like lot. yeah, and not it's not necessarily I'm gonna buy this with a regard to valuation. It's I buy it with regard to valuation. I feel like it's a decent price, but I'm not gonna get crazy and try to trade in and out of something if the business quality has stayed the same. And that is the biggest advantage of someone like David Gardner. That smells like Ryan, a viral um, tweet opportunity. I feel like you should, you should uh, go through that. You know, maybe. he's held it for a combined hundred years. I feel like because some people could maybe there's someone out there with more, but I but I doubt it. The, um, so there's a
0: question here that says, do you think David's strategy will underperform outside of his Zerp environment?
1: It all yes. it outperformed before. Oh <laughs> before yeah, this was
0: it, this buy and hold strategy, diversified picks, where he thinks things have big upside and he thinks it provides a valuable service. These companies are in many cases hundred times, thousand times more valuable today. And I'm not talking about just the price that they're quoted. Netflix has, I mean, he was buying this when they were delivering CDs. Like, yeah, I think it's a better business today than so back then.
1: Yeah. And the question is like a 1960s to 80s period, you know, like high inflation, Um, you know, kind of the economic malaise stuff, maybe less innovation. I, I don't know what- the, I say forget about
0: interest rates and just look at the business performances of all the ones that he's bought.
1: Hey, if you, if you, okay, go, you go and then I'll, then I'll go.
0: If you just look at the businesses and honestly, I don't know. If it was like a big percentage of his portfolio, I honestly haven't tracked all that. But if you just look at the actual businesses over the time span, and you don't even think about interest rates, and you think about you as an owner, what you would pay for each one, you would pay a hell of a lot more today for a Meta or a Netflix or a Google than you would have when he initiated his purchases. I don't think it has anything to do with the interest rate environment. My my personal opinion, I don't think it has anything to do with the interest rates.
1: Hey, nifty 50, you held through, outperformed still, right? Isn't that the stat? Isn't that the study they did? I believe No one actually held the nifty 50 through to like the 90s. But if you did hold, you had your McDonald's, you had your Walmarts, you had your Intels, you would have done quite well. And yeah, it's pretty wild
0: that they actually outperformed. That is pretty wild.
1: I Yeah, I don't have the study in front of me, but I've read it before, but it's been a while. Now, before we get, I think Alphabet, I think that's good enough there. Um, I don't really have any other thoughts in the quarter. They're doing really, really well, like really, really well. And, and I would not be surprised. OK, here's the other one that it was a tweet that didn't get much traction, but I thought it was an interesting question. We got Apple reporting today. Now, if they see a surprise profit jump and they're projecting growth, again, maybe this will age poorly. But Google's catching up, or excuse me, Alphabet's catching up to Apple in the net income category. Do they does do they pass them sometime soon? I mean, Apple's is stagnating and Alphabets is just kind of mooning here.
0: In in earnings, possibly in so, market cap
1: well never probably right, not do <laughs> you think apples ever going to go down cuz for reference apple did i was doing this for an article so that's what i thought about it apples at 97 billion in earnings alphabets now at 74 so not not too far away
0: yeah it's interesting i, I don't know They're, could they catch them it feels like google if they started to catch them would be like whoo Let's start hiring more. You can't, you can't, can't grow those earnings too fast, even if it's very easy. Uh, we gotta sure. we're gonna need more people to manage all all our people. So it seems like they're gonna it feels like they basically just picked their earnings growth rate. And they're like, Yeah, that seems reasonable, not too fast, allows us to grow earnings again by 15% next year. Uh so they masquerade their profitability with cost costs. Uh any other earnings that you thought were interesting this quarter that have reported so far. I saw Ferraris. Did you look at this? It,
1: didn't read them yet, but I saw that they shot up to all-time highs and
0: I saw your article.
1: Yeah, well, it praised you, so I'm sure you liked it. <laughs> it was great. Uh...
0: Very a brilliant article.
1: <laughs> the uh and they also signed Lewis Hamilton, so they got their... Win-win. That's that's like a bill. What is that worth in advertising? Like a billion dollars? I mean, honestly.
0: I don't know. I mean, advertising.
1: Like he's your... I mean... Advertising there- doesn't
0: matter for them, but it matters in potentially selling more cars.
1: No. I mean, he is the advertisement. It's like LeBron with Nike, except that they make money on it. It's incredible.
0: Right. Just the ad revenue itself isn't oh. huge on the income statement, but it trickles through in terms of demand. The, no,
1: it's not, excuse me, marketing. He's their marketing.
0: Yeah. The quarter itself, sh- shipments were down two and a half percent, which I think it's a risk maybe a lot of people aren't talking about is that over the last five years, shipments have really shot up. They've gone from, I think it's like 7,000 a year to 13,000. This is a management team that I don't think would be afraid to pull shipments back or like the number of cars they sell. I would not be surprised if in five years, they're shipping 9,000 cars instead of 15,000. Now, who knows? Uh, But shipments this quarter were down 2.5%. Revenue was up 11%. EBIT was up 25%. And it was Basically all due to pricing, but that doesn't just mean direct pricing power. Part of that is just the mix of the cars that they're selling. So it just blows my mind what they're able to sell these cars for. Feels like price is kind of an afterthought for a lot of their customers. So yeah, hell of a business, but I don't see myself. I've, I haven't have owned it in a long time. I don't see myself owning it anytime soon, given the current multiple. Maybe I'll be kicking myself down the road for that.
1: Yeah, what's interesting, I think people probably get decent returns, 5%, 10 over the long term from here. Owning oh, Friday, because I think it deserves a premium multiple. But as I wrote in that article on our newsletter, it was a really fat pitch when it was at 20 times earnings. And I was still getting responses to this thing saying, it was an automaker at 20 times earnings. Like that was, you're just hindsight biasing it. And I'm like, look at look at the numbers, people. Come on. Let's How many Toyota. auto
0: companies grew their earnings at the rate Ferrari grew them and barely increased volume?
1: It's all right. It, I, I want everyone to doubt them again because then it'll be by buying opportunity. I don't need it people to agree you know uh okay i want to talk the musk pay package but one more thing uh i'm trying to convince you to research celsius for your next stock and little you know it sounds like your uh your boss over at FinChat is 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 uh would agree with me and he had a nice tweet from uh with a chart from you guys's platform unsurprisingly uh and it's a nice one it shows how you can del or excuse me divvy things out uh geographically and if we look at celsius's north american revenue since q4 2019 do you want to guess the revenue compound annual growth rate since what year q4 2019 to q3 2023 i
0: recently looked at this and it was not those particular periods but it was it accelerated during that time so I'm going to say a
1: hundred percent. 127%.
0: Yeah. That's astounding.
1: Now, do you, I did, I've tried to, do you, are you going to, is this your next stock to research? I think it's going to, it could be a listenable episode. A lot of people want us here to hear this.
0: Here's the difficulty. A business like this is kind of hard to talk about for a long period of time. Like, what do you do? You basically say, the product, people love it. I I have the product. It feels different. I love it. Volumes have grown a lot.
1: Oh, I think it'll keep on. doing
0: it because the product's good. It doesn't, like, there's no
1: competitive you advantage. You
0: talk... There's no... Yeah, yeah
1: you can talk management You can talk where they're stealing their market share from in the United States. You can talk how, what their market share is versus the big players. You can talk about the potential growth in the international market. We can talk the financial relationship with Pepsi. I mean, the management is probably very important here. I think they're quite eccentric. So a good deep dive into that would be interesting. And then we can look at valuation and try to do some modeling. I think it's quite fun. I think it'd be good.
0: Yeah, I could try. It's just, it's it is a little more difficult because it's like all right international expansion, do people in Europe end up liking the Celsius flavor the way people in North America do? Probably, I think tastes are similar, but who knows? They haven't so
1: far. Yeah, it's they kinda, have now. See, that's the big question: Have they it's pushed tough to it? Talk about, but yeah, come on, Ryan, don't don't. This, that that you're not making any sense here. The no. uh the it's
0: like any good brand, like how do you pitch? hershey early on
1: yeah well it's not pitch it's a research report we researched monster we've researched hershey quite a few others that i'm forgetting All right. those were good episodes yeah he said tyler said i'm trying to outsource my research to you yeah it's true um that's the whole but point it's of the still, show.
0: it is still expensive just to be clear it's quite expensive still like 10 times doc is
1: expensive yeah A lot of people I see out there saying that there's this little dip here that they want to buy. Maybe it'll work. Yeah, I expect 100% growth here, man. you like- Yeah, that's
0: that's the other difficulty is Ferrari was not, or not Ferrari, Monster. A lot of people want to relate it to Monster's returns, but it's a very different setup because early on Monster was seeing really big unit growth. The valuation was still pretty cheap because people were so skeptical. Now that Monster's kind of proven out this model can work and it can be sticky, it seems like Celsius is getting more of a premium.
1: Yeah. And I think it could be a really interesting case study because maybe today after it's already probably, what, 50 bagged over the last five to six years, yeah, the returns aren't going to be as substantial. The opportunity's not there. But I think it's a great case study to learn from for hopefully at some point there's another opportunity you can kind of pattern match, find that you know, diamond in the rough there.
0: Yeah, it's true. We, uh, did I, I convince you? <laughs> uh, maybe. I want to. We'll see. We'll see. I'll think about it. The It is a little easier because I'm not starting from scratch there. I've kind of kept up with the business a bit, whereas Booking Holdings, I was a little bit, uh, a little bit further behind there. We'll see. I'm going to leave it TBD, so keep a little mystery here for the listeners. Do we want to talk about…
1: I was gonna say if you want Ryan to to get convinced, tell him that you would listen to the episode because you know the one thing we do agree on is that we would want more people to listen to the the podcast. So
0: is good. Engagement is good. The or you know what people used to do this more often. I don't think we've talked about it a lot. If you have a stock that you think is compelling and you want us to research it, email us or DM us on Twitter. The Twitter account is now chit chat stocks. The email is still chit chat money podcast at gmail.com because apparently right, I'm having yeah. difficulty switching that. Uh, I'm not the most technical guy switch, there. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, shoot us some ideas because I always find it other people's pitches. Booking was one of those. And it always feels more compelling when you have other people kind of as shareholders as well. Uh, with that, Elon Musk pay package you've got some news there
1: yeah so I guess this can go winners and losers of the week I don't know if you have a winner or loser but we should probably we'll probably get to all this made we got about looks like 15 minutes left as we're going a little longer than an hour now that we have the ads in there so we get it you know everyone gets an hour full of the investing discussions yeah I don't know if you saw but my winner of the week is a guy named Richard Tornetta loser is Elon Musk. Delaware court decided to strike down his $50 billion options package awarded to Musk in 2018. Um, The landmark decision is apparently incredibly rare. This is a rare thing that happens in this court that they're saying that the board, the shareholders were wrong to do this. And why is Richard Tornetta related to this? Well, he is an individual shareholder. I believe he only owned nine shares, but don't quote me on that exact number. He brought the lawsuit to court and he won. So he wasn't even a large shareholder. So the outcome voids this options pay package, which is worth about $50 billion today. And the reasoning from the court was this. One, Musk already owned 20% of the company at the time of the options gift, meaning every $50 billion in market cap gains equated to $10 billion in wealth creation for him. For reference, the stock today trades at about $600 billion market cap. They also said the board was, quote, beholden to Musk and lackadaisical. Uh, And third, they said that Musk was not going anywhere according to his own statement. So the argument from Tesla's side of things was that they needed to incentivize Musk to stay. And the court said, well, we found some incentives, I think, and it makes sense. Musk responded saying he's going to incorporate Tesla in Texas instead. And I also found this in the article I thought was interesting. Uh, that just kind of threw this in there in the Wall Street Journal report. I thought it was like, this could be a headline. It said, I guess it was a headline. But they said in March, the Wall Street Journal reported that Musk had began construction of his own town outside Austin. I said that w- weirdly. Musk began construction of his own town outside Austin. In meetings with landowners and real estate agents, Musk and employees of his companies have described his vision as a sort of Texas utopia along the Colorado River where his employees could live and work. Are you moving, Ryan, to this new town, no. Musk City?
0: No, I am not. Let me just say this. I think, yeah, you're right. This is a huge win for shareholders. And I love this lady.
1: I love this judge. Sorry, not lady. Every
0: $50 billion in market cap gained equates to $10 billion in wealth creation. How is that not an incentive of his own? And it's such like a, it feels very egotistical to be like, listen, I know I own 20% of this company but I'm a busy guy and I'm going to need 30% if you want me to actually commit any of my time to this company, like basically extorting the board because the board knows the stock will go down if Musk is not involved, which I kind of questioned some of his involvement already. But the other part is like good for the shareholder if they move to Texas though, and I don't know if shareholders will see it this way my guess is they probably won't this is a perfect example of how it can be valuable as a shareholder to have your company headquartered in delaware kind of thing because shareholders won here and elon musk is essentially not taking more money from you and if they relocate to texas and he is potentially able to go through with a plan like this you're You are losing out on potential capital that could be reallocated back to you. So
1: yeah. Yeah. If I understand people's arguments that perhaps a court shouldn't be able to decide what if shareholders are correct or not, I get that argument kind of in a vacuum. But in this specific case, if you're arguing in defense of Elon Musk here, who after this is still worth, I think, over a hundred billion dollars. You were just telling me that I should not respect your opinions on any of this stuff because you just don't understand the situation. I mean, think about this. What if someone was like, well, yeah, Warren Buffett's done well with Berkshire Hathaway, but think of how much better he would have done if we gave him a 10 tranche RSU package every 10 years and gifted him 10% of the company every decade. Think of how much value he would have created then. And he would say, what are you talking about? That's unethical. Because it is.
0: Yeah. And it's risky. Like I would much rather have them just own a lot. Like this is the one situation that a lot of people point to where it's like that 10 tranche RSU package where they're like, this is a great program. It's like, it also makes them try really hard to hit goals that where maybe they can manipulate stuff. Um
1: Here's a question though. Here's a question. We talked about Texas. Here's a question from Tyler. I think is good. Do you think if Musk could do it all over again, he would take Tesla public? I think, think oh, if yeah. he could get the financing, no, because then he could do his machinations that he does with SpaceX, where, for example, they gave him a billion-dollar loan to buy Twitter because he said, give me a billion-dollar loan to buy Twitter. This is, again, SpaceX, a company that's supposed to be focused on rocket building, is giving him a loan to buy Twitter, no questions asked. So I think he would but, rather have him not be public because then he could do whatever he wants. If all of that would not be public
0: all of that would not be possible if tesla were never a public company that like yeah at the end of the day his financing for pretty much everything has come from tesla shareholders right like yeah you think about all the equity raises in 2021 and how they were able to finance
1: all the the production
0: the the options that he got his and then he's like He can use that as collateral in when he gets loans from a lot of these places. So, yeah, I think he has been massively advantaged by having Tesla be a public company. And I don't think a lot of private investors would have given him the benefit of the doubt to take Tesla to where it is today. So, in one way, maybe that's a good thing that they've been able to kind of accelerate EV adoption because of public shareholders. But Uh, he would not be who he is today if Tesla weren't able to be a public company or he wouldn't be worth what he is.
1: I agree. I agree. Yeah. Any other thoughts um, Uh, on the topic?
0: Starting a town from scratch is interesting. Interesting. I don't know if I would really want to live there. If housing was really cheap for the employees, maybe it would make sense, but- that would be difficult. The I I like I tend to like towns where it feels like people are there for more than one reason. Which, if you're a town only in only in a spot for to work for Tesla, it seems I don't know. You're surrounded by it twenty four seven, so it would just be a little exhausting in my in my opinion, but. I don't, you know, maybe some people love it. Some people might really like that.
1: Uh, I think it's wild. I had not heard about this before. Maybe I forgot about it. Do you have any winners and losers of the week? Oh, wait, we got this question in here. I'm supposed to ask because this guy reminded me that I forgot to ask it uh, for the power hour. He said to investing companies like Pfizer and I'm assuming it's Bristol Myers Bristol Myers squib. Do I need to have an opinion on each drug in the pipeline or do I need an opinion on management's ability to spend wisely in R&D and acquisitions to maintain and grow earnings? You reminded me twice to ask this question on here and I just want to say I got nothing. Would drug you, stuff, I'm out. I got no opinion. I would
0: think I think Pfizer and Bristol Myers squib are huge, right? They're both massive companies Mm -hmm. so unless they derive a huge chunk of their earnings or revenue from a single drug i think when it gets to a company of that size you are more betting on management's capital allocation skills and just their honesty and trustworthiness in general it's not i mean small biotech versus big biotech investing is two very different worlds and i think with some of these big biotechs you can basically just bet that they're going to allocate capital properly.
1: Yeah, like some people say that you can bet on the big, large cap biotechs as a basket. But at that point, am I really going to get, you're just going to get sector returns. Maybe the sector have been good. Fast. Maybe it continues to go faster than the broader market. But I, I would think like, why, why not just index or buy an ETF at that point? Uh yeah, Tyler says Big BioTech is similar to Constellation Software. Yeah, probably run worse though. Uh, he's got a question on the U.S. economic growth being much more than predicted. Yeah, maybe we close on that. It'll be fun. Do you guys have any thoughts about the growth of the U.S. economy being much so much more than predicted? My only thought is that the macro doomers and the bears. That sorry, not the bears. The people that are always bearish. The I don't care if people are bearish like, on a certain stock, but the people that are always bearish on the economy and on stocks, they are bearish every single quarter, every single quarter. So you you can form an opinion on whether you think the economy is healthy or not. But if you look at those people and listen to them, you will think that the next Great Depression is imminent every year since 20, 2009 and probably before that. So- that's my only takeaway is you can get biased to thinking that a recession is imminent if you choose to listen to that enticing sweet macro bear porn.
0: Yeah, the other with a concept so broad as the economy, whether it's the US economy or the global economy, it's very easy to find data that supports your view, like whether it's for or against <laughs> the uh whether you think optimistically about the economy or not, you can basically find something to support your view. So I tend to just have the viewpoint of real GDP growth over the last 100 years and think that's probably going to be what drives returns over the long run from here on out um, or drives economic growth from here on out. I think it'll be probably better than not the last 100 years, but better than what some people are kind of forecasting. I tend to ignore a lot of the I tend to ignore a lot of the economic, like global economy, macroeconomy stuff in general. I don't find it very interesting. Like, hey, if interest rates decline, I guess the spreads will widen for ally, that's nice. But if if a couple basis point decline or a couple percent uh couple percentage point decline in interest rates makes or breaks your thesis. We've said this before. It's probably not something you should own. Uh, Just in that it's very possible for it to happen and you want something that could weather any sort of interest rate environment.
1: Yeah. You see all these arguments. They should cut in March. They shouldn't cut in March. Here's my reasoning. I don't give a damn. Also- Here's what I thought was interesting. Since we're in the middle of Q1- the Atlanta Fed does their kind of predictions based on the data they're already getting for the quarter. Their Q1 GDP forecast just bumped up to four point two percent for the United States. Uh, used to be at, it was at three. That's pretty darn good. They're seeing some good data there. Economy's humming, and it's yeah. Hum.
0: The the uh, I don't understand the people that hate on Powell. He he's done a really good job. And he's very competent. Like read any read anything he writes, read that book about him from I know that uh Wall Street Journal reporter, I can't pronounce his last name.
1: Well, he I don't know if you if even if he thought he was not smart, I don't know if how negative he would be because he wants to maintain that relationship with him, but I get your point. He probably is being
0: he's probably he's, Yeah, he seems pretty competent to me and he seems like he probably has the best data.